Everybody doing all right? Good, good. Baseball's supposed to start this week, so I'm getting a little bit of my soul back. My Cubs haven't played since like September, so it's like coming up on a year, so hopefully they, they can play. So I'm doing well. <laughs> um, well, since we, we spent a few minutes talking about what a lot of people consider to be the next generation, um, I thought it'd be good uh, for today's message to talk about the different generations, how to bring them together. And, uh, you know, I have this desire, um, this desire to just reach people. And that may sound simple, that may sound <clears throat> obvious, but uh, I see a lot of times all over the country, I see uh, sometimes some uh, division among different generations, both inside and outside the church. We got to find a way as Christians to come together. So there's a scripture that I want us to really focus on today. I want you to consider as we uh, talk about everything else, think about this passage as we go. And I want to ask this question, what do you think the Apostle Paul meant when he said these words, I've become all things to all men so that by all means I might save some? Can you think of maybe some modern day examples where we could apply that to our lives? Here's the full passage. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. Think about those words today. Over the last few years, I've been studying more about uh, the different generations. I think it's interesting, but I also think if we're going to reach people of a generation that's different than our own, it's important to talk to them, to learn from them, and uh, to to see where they're coming from. And, uh, you know, I want to meet people where they are. That's what Christ does for us. And just like Paul, I want to become all things to all men, so that by all means I may save some. So as a youth pastor, and also just as a Christian in general, um, I don't ever want to ignore other generations, whether it's younger, older, whatever. I don't want to ignore any generation because there's so much I can learn from them. So for our students, I never want you to ignore uh, older generations, or as you get older, younger generations at that time, when there's so much you can learn love this quote from the late Andy Rooney who said that the best classroom in the world is at the feet of an elderly person. So again, anyone watching online or any kids here, think about your future. Um, do not ignore the incredible life lessons that older generations can teach you. At the same time, I would never want older generations to ignore younger generations or uh, write them off or stereotype them because the younger generation is becoming the culture. They will be the culture. Uh, and then as many people talk about them as the next generation of the church, they are actually the church of today as well. So the body of Christ is meant to be of all ages, and so we've got to find ways to come together. This is kind of a maybe an overall, uh, some of the themes of some of these generations that I like to look at. Um, do we have anybody, any, any baby boomers in here? Any baby boomers? I know we have some. So, uh, this, again, some overarching themes of some of these from 46 to 64, born in that time frame. Baby boomers were known, still known as workaholics, uh, invented the 50-hour work weeks. They're driven, they're competitive, 
they stand up for what they believe in, and they're very loyal. Uh, how about Gen X? The next one, any Gen Xers? We got some. 65 to 80. <laughs> um, also very hard workers, uh, many times known as maybe the first daycare generation as both parents started to work more often. One of the most misunderstood generations. Is that true? Yes? <laughs> this is the one Daryl fits in. He says he's misunderstood all the time, so it makes sense. Uh, more loyal to their work sometimes than companies they work for. Again, this doesn't fall into you know, every person in that generation, but it's kind of a, a theme. Next one is millennials. Any millennials in here? Got some. All right. Um, this is kind of a misconception. When people hear the term millennials, they often think that it's the youth. That is not the case. Uh, millennials are actually in their 30s, even to their upper 30s at this point. Uh, most of the time they say born in 81. Sometimes they say 84, all the way up through 99 or 2000 millennials. So huge part of the church. This was the first generation that really started the decline of coming to church in America. So again, it's important that we understand that generation. Um, heavily influenced by technology and world events, grew up at times more sheltered uh, by parents than previous generations. Average, uh, the millennial changes jobs on average every two years. Compare that to baby boomer every seven years. Busy generation, more political interest. Uh, they seek out meaningful work and causes and try to impact the world. So I was listening to some podcasts, and I heard some people talking about, uh, some pastors talking about millennials in the church. A couple quotes that I really liked. One of them was, millennials are like LED lights. People thought of them as a nuisance at first. In reality, they're powerful, and we should use them. So that's a good one. Um, here's another one. One of the biggest mistakes churches make is thinking that we should not ask much of millennials. The truth is, we need them, and we need to put them to work. All right, so how about Gen Z? Gen Z would be basically all the youth of today, all the way up to about 20 years old. Mike Fruits is raising his hand. So you <laughs> Mike is pretty woke, as they say. He's the youngest Santa I've ever seen. <clears throat> um, so yeah, Gen Z, 2000 through present. Youth group fits in this, children's ministry. Uh, extremely influenced by the digital age. Um, most of this generation spends more time with phones and internet than, than even parents. Uh, in many places in the country, especially, the majority of people in this generation grow up in divided or broken homes. Um, and this is kind of a, a sad one to share, but helps again understand them. Teens today have the same anxiety levels as psychiatric patients from the 1950s. So it's crazy. Depression, suicide are all-time highs. Uh, this generation has more to do, and more, they're more connected than any generation, but statistically, they're still the most depressed and alone generation. Thank you, social media, for most of that, I think. But the reality is, most of our time, we'll, we'll spend talking about, I'm still not even sure how to say this, maybe the, the last two generations. So millennial and Gen Z, we'll spend a lot of time talking about them because, again, the decline of uh, um, church and Christians in America is largely those two. So the question is, how do we reach them? Uh, there's no magic formula. Uh, I think it's still all about relationships and showing them love and grace and getting to know them. Uh, I do think that through, over the years, conversations I've had, studies I've looked at, some of the key themes for how to reach these two generations, they want Christians and churches to be real. They want us to be transparent. And here's a key. They do not want 
Christians to run away from the hard questions. They want us to talk about them, face them, tackle those questions together. Uh, they do want a place to serve. They don't want to be ignored or written off. And they want to be accepted and uh, figure out the next steps um, with people from other generations. So truth is, we've got to find ways to connect to one another. You know, as a, as a staff and with our elders, we have um, made a lot of decisions over the years with that goal in mind to reach people. We want to reach every generation. Um, we want to know about um, guests when they come in, uh, that kind of experience. We're trying to reach people. So there's sometimes that decisions may be made that you may not always know or agree with or understand. Um, you may not necessarily like or understand certain things like the, the key tag check-in or why such an emphasis on online ministry um, or in, in apps and things like that. That's where the people are, um, and uh, we, we've got to do everything we can to reach them. Another thing, and, and Daryl mentioned this one a couple months ago, but uh, the reason that we do not do meet and greet time in the service anymore is because the, the statistics are overwhelming that say uh, new guests in a church that's the number one thing they don't like. It's the thing that makes them feel uncomfortable. Now, those people want us to reach, to, you know, meet and greet them before the service, get to know them after the service. We want to allow those opportunities to happen. Um, but if it's like a kind of a 30-second, they're not sure what to do or say, they feel very, very uncomfortable by that. So even things like that, we try to be mindful of each generation, trying to reach them the best that we can. I've been doing youth ministry for a long time now, since college, and I've heard a lot of things, seen a lot of things. Um, sp specifically, when I was in Florida, there was, um, at times, a group of people who would say things about some of our students. They would say, you know, I'm not sure, like, are you sure those kids should be part of the group because, you know, they're disruptive, or, you know, that kid just got in trouble for something awful, or this kid, you know, makes this kid feel uncomfortable, and they would, they would ask those type of questions. And every time, I'm just like, we are trying to reach these people, and they're not going to come in here and be polished. I mean, I'm not, I'm not polished when I go before God. I'm, you know, I need his grace, um, and they're not going to have all the answers. We want to reach them the best that we can. I want to share this morning one of my favorite stories that Jesus taught. It's a parable. I'm just going to summarize it, and uh, I think there's, like every time Jesus told a story, there's incredible truths to learn, multiple truths. So I think there's one that I always refer to in this story, there's also one that I think fits with the topic of today. All right, so to summarize the story, there was a landowner who needed work in his vineyard, so, and he knew it was going to take a lot of work. So he went out, he found some people that didn't have a job, and said, hey, go into my vineyard, you're going to work for 12 hours. I'm going to give you a full day's pay. That would have been a great thing for them. They're out of work, a full day's pay, that's great. So 12 hours, uh, go work few hours into the day, he realized, I need some more workers to finish the job. So he got some more people. He told them, so you're going to work for about nine hours. I will give you whatever is fair. So they're like, okay, cool. And they went to start working. A few hours later, same thing happened. So maybe they worked five or six hours. Finally, there's only one hour left in the day. He realized there's still just a little bit more work that I need done. So he found some people and he said, hey, if you just go work for one hour, um, I'll pay you whatever is fair. So at the, at the day, you know, when the day is over, uh, he starts and he, he pays the one-hour workers, they were just there for an hour, he pays them an entire day's wage. So they're blown away by it, and now all these other people are thinking, 
what are we going to get? They got paid a full day for an hour. We're going to get 12 times or, well, each group of people he gave a day's wage to. So they became upset and wondered, we work 12 hours, they work one, why do they get the same thing? And he basically told them, you agreed to work for this. It's more than you deserve. It's a great, wonderful gift. Why do you care that I'm generous with others? And I'll tell you that this is my go-to story to share with someone if they ever say, I can't be forgiven, or I, have, I haven't followed God my whole life. There's no way he could love me. Some other people have followed forever, and you know, there's no way he would forgive me and love me. This is the story I show them. And I say, you could be the 11th hour worker, working an hour, and your past no longer matters. You're going to get the same reward. Come to Christ now. This is the generosity, the grace of this incredible Savior. So that is the, one of the truths that I take with that story. The other one is, when it goes with today's uh, generation's message, it's a challenge for all of us to think about this. What would the one-hour workers of our community say about the 12-hour workers of our community? Um, what would the one-hour workers or, or guests of a church say about the 12-hour workers of the church? So maybe, maybe they're around people that have followed Christ their whole life or have been coming to church for a really long time. Do they feel welcome? Do they feel like those people celebrate with them? And, uh, and, and I want to be in that category if someone is like, I, I've been working a long time as a Christian, but I want to celebrate with you, not be skeptical of you, and I want to embrace you. And that's a challenge again for all of us. I want to show you as well uh, some things. There's a George Barna study, which super fascinating stuff. If you ever uh, want to look up just type in George Barna, and uh, all the facts they look at every year. They study Christians and churches and trends and all this stuff. And this is a pretty crazy thing that they found recently. They said a brand new church plant gets three to five times as many conversions to Christ as churches that are 10 years older. I think there's many reasons for that. Again, there's no magic formula or one reason. Um, but for me, I feel like one reason is a new church plant, which we got to see, we went on a mission trip to New England, we got to see all these church plants and what they were doing. They don't have uh, necessarily rules or traditions that they're holding onto. They only care about, we got to get the gospel out, we got to get out there and do whatever it takes to reach people. Um, a lot of times their staff, they share all the roles, like, all right, you're going to speak this week, you're going to go here, you're going to do this, and they just go after it. And it's really inspiring uh, to see church plants do that. But my thing is, we, we do not have to be a new church to think and act like a new church. Um, we do not have to say, you know, well, we have to go here if we're going to do this. Certain. We can absolutely say we're going to do whatever it takes like a church plant. We're going to go after it, try to reach people, do anything it takes, do the best that we can. Um, unfortunately, fewer and fewer people are becoming interested in a traditional church. So sometimes we need to do untraditional things in order to reach them. So we should study theology, study scripture, also study culture and feel like how, how we can reach people. I also want to show you this. This is something we learned. It was either three or four years ago. We went to a conference as a staff in Savannah, Georgia, and uh, Rusty George showed us this and talked about it, and it's something that has stuck with me. And he basically said that the, the old model, as far as um, helping people find Christ, used to be more like this, like this top one. 
uh, he would say maybe um, in the 90s, early 2000s, a lot of uh, what people in churches would do is they would hold big revivals. Some of that still goes on and still impactful, which is awesome. They would do these revivals or big evangelical uh, you know, conferences or um, events. They would have an altar call. All these people would come forward. They would introduce them to Christ. From there, they would say, uh, let's get you involved in a community. Find a church, other people that follow Christ, and then while you're in that community, you can find a cause, like the church probably does things they help and serve, um, and so that's kind of the model of how things would go. Not saying that everybody fits in the new model, but again, statistics, they show that specifically millennials and Gen Z, sometimes it's a little backwards where we have to try to help them first find a cause. There's a lot of people, a lot of young people today want to help in some way. They want to find something they can help in the world. So come alongside them, and we do that as a church. We do things like Night to Shine and Great Day of Service and, you know, these different opportunities where we try to say, hey, come alongside and see that our church is not just about singing on Sunday, but we, you know, we want to help people. There's a cause. Come help us with that. Or maybe you take a friend to one of the local uh, charities. There's a lot of um, great places around here. You can take them to that and say, hey, let's, what are you, what are you passionate about? What makes you upset in the world today? Let's go after it. Let's go help it. From there, maybe show them, hey, by the way, our, our church or maybe our small group, you know, we love to do this together. And then say, here is the reason why we do it. And sometimes it's uh, even that day, maybe night to shine community and say, hey, we do this because of Jesus. We want to introduce you to Jesus. But sometimes it's a, a, maybe a slower process. Sometimes it's quick, but it's almost a reverse model. Um, we can't always just uh, talk with people about revivals and things of that nature. We have to find a cause, tell them why we do it, walk alongside them, and then uh, try to reach them in that way. Another thing I love to do is study the book of Acts. It's basically the, the early church. One thing I like about it is you can see the people doing different things for different crowds in order to reach them. So, for example, Acts 2, Peter, he, uh, he preached this, uh, this powerful message to the Jews people who believed God of creation. Um, maybe they understood the meaning of sin and the fall and all of that. So he boldly presents this message of Christ's death and resurrection, the need to repent, and a lot of conversions happened. Fast forward to Acts 17, similar time frame. Paul used a different method because he was speaking to Greeks. He was speaking to people that really had no knowledge of God. They had a lot of uh, pagan beliefs. So his, um, how he approached them was much different. Um, basically, pagans who had no knowledge of God or an understanding of all of that. Um, so he, he kind of walks through all this process. He dismantles their belief in pagan gods, then presents the salvation message. So that's just an example, right, from Scripture in a similar time frame. Different approaches are sometimes needed for different people. Unfortunately, there's a rise in the category called the nuns. Uh, not N-U-N, nuns, uh, N-O-N-E, people that check the box of no religious affiliation. That group, that category, the rise of the nuns, they are growing and growing. Um, but again, we have to realize not all people can be impacted in the same ways. I believe we need to, we need to study apologetics, uh, dig into that stuff about proof of God's existence. We also need to help people, you know, help them intellectually with some of that stuff, help them find a cause. Um, Timothy Keller recently said that many people have to want Christianity to be true before they're open to hearing about why it is. 
So again, for some people, you have to appeal to their feelings before logic. For some people, you have to appeal to more intellectual things before feelings. It's just, again, it's about getting to know them, where are they from, what's their past, what generation type stuff, you know, is, has been woven in, and, and is there any way I can kind of break down those walls and get to know them better. So if we're ever going to reach people, we've got to be we got to do all those things, keep those things in mind. We also have to be unified because if non-Christians see Christians fighting, whether it's social media or they see churches uh, competing or whatever, um, they're probably going to look at us and they're going to say, I don't want any part of that. I don't want to be on that team. And so uh, we've, we've got to come to this uh, understanding of even if I disagree with them, maybe they, they voted differently than me, their, their beliefs are a little different than me, can I disagree in love and still show Christ to them? Um, many of you know this, but I just had an opportunity to write a book. Uh, my first published book came out in June, and it's, it's been one of the most fun and uh, rewarding things I've ever got to do. Um, at some point, we'll probably have a full uh, message on the topic of the book here at church, but something happened after I wrote the book that has stuck with me. Uh, I needed to send the publisher uh, references if I used, you know, quotes from pastors or authors or, uh, you know, Christian bands. I had to um, research all that and send them the exact references for all that so they could put it in the back. When I was doing that process, I kid you not, every single time I typed in someone's name uh, to, to find all of that stuff, below their name would be article after article after article of other Christians bashing that person. I'm not talking about a couple examples. I'm talking like 15 examples and I was like, every single time somebody thinks this person's heretical, they think this person is awful, they think this person's a false prophet, all this stuff. And it's like, it's a pretty impressive thing, you know, list to have just nonstop. And it was, it was blowing me away. Um, and I was thinking again in that moment, what if a non-believer sees this? What if they see a video of, uh, of a pastor and they like what they said, they look them up and they see other Christians saying, nope, you know, don't, don't listen to them. Horrible, horrible people. Um, I just got to do a uh, YouTube with... Um, an evangelist from India about the book, and he said that he, in the States, he preached to 4,000 people, and like all these people came to Christ, but there was one, he said, very, very religious person, one that thought, I'm the only one going to heaven <laughs> type person, that was, that got online and bashed his talk, and then he, and then this guy said that some of these people that came to Christ were then questioning, well, if another Christian's saying that this is wrong, what do I do with that? So we, we've got to be really, really, really careful with that. Um, imagine if a marriage worked like that. If like, oh, I disagreed with one thing they said, so I got to leave, you know. There's no way. You, you're never going to agree fully with everyone, but um, it's again, it's about trying to come together. And, uh, you know, Scripture does say we are to correct and rebuke those who are teaching false doctrine, but it says also it warns us against being divisive, um, so again, we're on the same team. We're all wrong at times, but we're in it together. And uh, again, if we're going to reach the next generation, we've got to be unified, be one body. I also believe we need to choose the right battles to fight. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. We should just do a full sermon one day where we just say, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers for like a half hour. <laughs> um, Hebrews says, make every effort to live in peace with all men. Are we doing that? That's something I have to ask myself all the time is in this moment, maybe in this disagreement, am I doing, am I making every effort to live in peace with all men in these moments? 
So sometimes, you know, we, I feel like we find some weird battles to face. Some are absolutely worth standing up for, but can we do it in a loving way? But sometimes it, it just confuses me. A couple years ago when uh, Starbucks refused to say Merry Christmas and all the Christians got so upset and <laughs> when that happened, I was like, they're not a Christian business. They're not, they're not a Christian organization, so I can't assume or, you know, think that they're going to do something Christian. Um, also, t- sometimes we get in heated debates over some things that are really non-salvation issues. Uh, it, they're fun to talk about. I love having these conversations about, like, how old do you think the earth is? Do you think it's more this or this? And, and it's kind of fun to discuss and um, try to learn from each other. But some people get in these big debates over it. Uh, I think it was like six or seven years ago, there was that uh, debate with the uh, atheist and Christian and it was like 90 minutes long, and like 88 of the 90 minutes were about how old is the earth? And I'm thinking, this is, this, is this a salvation issue? There's so much more, so many more things we could be talking about in this moment. People also today fight about, you know, are we living in the end times? And sometimes they'll make these predictions, and they get in like heated debates over it. I believe we should be living like we're in the end times, whether we are or not. But I believe this truth. I believe that Genesis is about who made the earth, not necessarily when it was made. Revelation is about who wins in the end, not the exact time of victory. So again, things like that are fun to discuss, but let's not turn non-salvation issues into heated arguments. If I want to reach people, I got to focus on what's most important. Did Jesus die for me? Did Jesus rise from the dead? Those kind of things are worth our time and worth our conversation And I shouldn't care about winning arguments, looking good online. I should care about winning people, just like Paul, become all things to all men. This shirt that I'm wearing is a youth group shirt. It's not an acronym. It just says the word for on it. Um, We like to wear shirts like this sometimes to make people ask, you know, why, what does that mean? Why are you wearing that? So if somebody were to ask me, I would say, this is a reminder, and I want you to know God is for you. He's not against you. And our church is for you. Um, and that, that conversation starter can go a long way, but it's really just this idea of, you know, there's a lot of Christians, a lot of churches that are unfortunately known for what they're against, and we want you to know, very simply, God is for you. That's the God I love. That's the God that I read in Scripture and would love for you, love to talk about it. So I believe there's enough arguing and division in the world today. Uh, as Christians, we're called to be salt and light. We're called to speak for those who can't speak for themselves, we're called to reach the hurting, the broke, the disenfranchised. And again, whether you agree with them or not on certain things, they will know we are Christians by our what? By our love. Not our bumper stickers, even though those can be fun. Not our Instagram posts. They can be impactful. By our love. That's how they're going to know. And they will, ha- they will believe there's a much better chance of knowing Jesus is real by our love. The band can come on up. We're going to sing an invitation song here in just a minute. But I just want us to, again, reflect on this, that if we want to reach people, older generations, younger generations, future generations, love is how that's going to happen. Let's be mindful of our words and our actions and our service, our purpose on the earth. And I just want to take a minute and pray. I want to pray for our church. I want to pray for the future of the church. Churches everywhere, Christians everywhere, 
to have this mindset. And, uh, and then we'll sing a song of invitation after. But let's go to the Lord. God, thank you for these moments that we get to share together. Thank you that we have a chance to worship you freely. And God, I just pray that we all have this desire to reach people. And whether it's um, in our generation or another one, I pray for the future generations to know you. I pray for our church. I pray for the church worldwide to do whatever we can to show people that you are for them. You are not against them. You love them. Help us to live a life worthy of the calling we have received. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.